This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Richard Gershon, the host of In Legal Terms and a professor at the University of Mississippi School of Law. If you miss a live In Legal Terms episode, find our podcast, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. On Money Talks, we're here to answer your personal finance questions. But between your phone calls, we like to come up with some interesting topics to discuss. And this morning, we're talking about some personal finance topics that you should master. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org with a reminder that if you do send an email, most likely we will get back to you off air. Uh, sometimes during the program, we don't have a chance to answer the emails, but Ryder and Nancy are very good at responding to your emails with the information that you're looking for. And to start the show each week, we always talk about financial news in the news. So we'll let Nancy have first crack at it. Good morning, Nancy. Oh, good morning. Well, it's true confessions time here, Uh-oh. Kevin. Uh, you know, I love all my streaming services. And many years ago, we cut the cable cord. And what we're seeing among a lot of viewers is this decline in cable viewership, even decline in broadcast viewership. Everybody's going to the streaming services. But this is what really shocked me this morning. Those services have increased their subscription prices 25% on average over the last year. Mm. So that means I need to go back and look at that and really think about what services do I still use and what are valuable to me. And, you know, they only increase them maybe a dollar or two a month, so you don't pay attention to them. It's on a bank draft or it hits your credit card. So it doesn't really occur to you that maybe I should stop and look at this, but those things really add up. And, uh, you know, I've noticed my Apple has gone up from four ninety nine to now it's six ninety nine. Well, percentage-wise, that is a huge increase. And Hulu is up to seventeen ninety nine, And they are really cracking down on all of the sharing of passwords. So this is an area where a lot of us can just go back and look at, well, what are we really viewing? What's important to us? And some easy ways to cut that bill because they let you go in and out. So take a look. Yeah, I would uh, second that. And when I first went and got rid of cable, I was almost guilty of the same thing because I thought, well, I need Peacock and I need Paramount and I need this and I need that and that. And I thought to myself, you're about to take all the savings that you got from cable and just smack it into these streaming services. And all you really need is the MPB app so that you can listen to us on the radio (laughs) and you can catch up on your favorite shows there. That's all you really need, Kevin. You know, the other thing, too, is uh, I would agree. Thank you for the plug, Ryder. <laughs> the check is in the mail, as we say. <laughs> but, you know, Nancy, you said I think uh, Apple went from like $4 to $6. And so I think the thought is, hey, that's not very much. But again, as you said, yeah. when you get six or seven of them together mm-hmm. like that. And so uh, that actually happened with me with Paramount Plus. I got it as a free thing. And I thought, oh, this is great. It's got a lot of the old TV shows that I used to remember, although some of them I'm like, I don't remember why I thought this was a good program. But anyway. Uh, not, not everything ages that well. 
But then, you know, over the last couple of weeks or the several weeks, I'm like, well, have I really even watched anything on here? And so exactly, yeah. I got rid of it. Yeah. So, yeah, great. But here, here's what happens is that, you know, I just get to the point that I'm ready to do away with that one streaming service and boom, here comes a new season of something I just have to watch. Yeah, <laughs> that's they plan it that way on purpose. I they, think they do. <laughs> That's how they get you. Uh, Ryder, what did, what's on your mind? So speaking of spending, although I don't know that spending on streaming is, is explicitly uh, uh, broken out in this, uh, you may have heard just before the show talking about the consumer spending reports put out by the, the census, the the, the uh the greatest ones that surveying in this country. So the consumer spending is up quite a lot, a lot more than expected. Um, and, What's interesting to me is how the bond market has responded and how the stock market has responded because the stock market is down a little bit and the bond market is up because people are expecting, okay, the economy is so hot. People are still spending. If people are spending more and more, maybe that's going to that's gonna keep prices higher as long as there's a lot of demand. It's going to increase prices a little bit. And so the, we're talking about inflation again. And so the, it increases the likelihood that the Fed raises rates. Uh, they're next meeting in September. Uh, and the 10 year treasury yield is up to 4.19. Uh, so that's actually saw, uh, one of the highest it's been in a long time, uh, especially given that it started 2022. So it started last year at 1.63. So that's a dramatic increase in the 10 year yield. So that seems to be, you know, expecting higher rates and higher rates staying high for longer. Uh, so we talk a lot about the underlying strength of the economy. This is great evidence of the underlying strength, right? People are still working. When we look at jobs numbers, they're good. Uh, people are still spending money. People are spending a lot of money. Uh, they're uh, hopefully enjoying what they're spending and enjoying their life. This is this is good news. Of course, th- there are the the inflation or rising inflation is kind of a downside of it. If everyone's spending so much, it's it's getting more expensive for, for people to kind of do some basic things. That can be a bad thing. Uh, so we just have to look at it really carefully. Um, yeah, go ahead, Nancy. Well, I just wanted to give a shout out to one of our loyal listeners, Paul out there. Uh, he frequently emails us. He mentioned the emails and uh, writers even chatted with him on the phone. Uh, we've got to schedule a lunch with Paul because he's just really great. And as I read his email, um, that he, the, the latest one he sent through where he's giving me all these details, I'm thinking, wow, did he really learn all of that from us or was he just way ahead of the curve to begin with? I think he was. Um, but we're just glad to have him listening. Uh, this article caught my eye recently due to uh, a purchase I just made, but it says U.S. car loans total $1.5 trillion. So I added to that, although as I read through this... Um, so you did it. You really did it. Yes, I bought my new car. Uh, but for 2023, your average monthly loan payment for a new vehicle was $725, mm-hmm. up from $650 in 2022. So I'm lucky because my my note is not anywhere mm-hmm. near that. Um, and I thought I saw somewhere where the price of cars is getting to be more and more expensive and up to even without the fancy cars, like $100,000 or yes. whatever. So that, Isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's something that we saw over the last few years. I know people are really tired of hearing the phrase supply chain issues, but that was a big issue with getting cars out. It would be one part, one computer chip, one thing that they needed. And you heard stories about you know, tons of, of cars sitting on the lot waiting to go, but they weren't finished. So it made it harder to f- locate cars. And so a 
a lot of demand for cars, especially with people moving out of larger cities, uh, just meant that it those prices went up a lot. Those have started to moderate a little bit. Uh, but one of the really interesting impacts is that used cars have gotten really expensive, making new cars almost a better value in some cases when you're looking at them. I hadn't considered a late model used car, but I went ahead and, and got a new car. And I, I don't know, I treated myself a little bit. One thing I do like about my new car is all of the, uh, the driver assist technology, uh, especially for me as I get to be an older driver. It's got the the thing, if I turn my blinker on and there's someone in my blind spot, it beeps at me. But the one I really like is when you have your backup camera on, if it sees a car coming really from any far away, it, it's this collision avoidance thing. And it's a big red thing that's flashing on your screen. And so that's really saved me a couple of times. So I appreciate that. Well, you know, safety for senior citizens, well, Kevin. <laughs> hey, I, very important. I admit that I'm an aging driver. So, you know, I'm now the grandpa that other people are shouting at. It's like, <laughs> it used to be, come on, grandpa, get out of the way. And now I realize. And now it's you. Yes. Now I am. I the am the grandpa. <laughs> oh, no. Sounds like a good movie. I am grandpa. Hmm, let's see. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand to all the local MPB Think Radio programs. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder, ready to answer your personal finance questions today to fill time between your calls. We're talking about some important money-related topics that you should know about. So um, we I found this list online somewhere, and I, I get a lot of material from that because there's a lot of information about personal finance on the Internet. And I like to go through these lists to get uh, Nancy and Ryder's opinion on things because sometimes – when I look through the list, it's like, yeah, that seems legit. And then another time you're like, that seems like kind of a bogus uh, suggestion. So, uh, Nancy Ryder, always feel free to comment on whether said topic should be included in the list as well as we talk about the list itself. So <clears throat> one of the uh, ones listed on the personal finance topics that you should master is accounting basics. So, Nancy, do you, do you think it's important for people to know accounting basics? Well, certainly anybody who runs a business, and that includes uh, those self-employed plumbers, uh, beauticians, um, anybody like that running your own business, you should understand those financial statements because that information tells you something about um, your business and what the revenue is, where your expenses are, um, how you can make more money, how you can cut your expenses to increase your bottom line. So, yes, you do need to understand that. Now, for other people, just basic folks out there, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's that, that critical unless you are an investor because investors are looking at companies to figure out who is making money, uh, what stock should I invest in. And that's another case where individuals would pay attention to accounting statements. So, Ryder, uh, playing off of what Nancy just said there, if you are investing, what are some things that you need to keep in mind, know about uh, to make a wise investment? Uh, well, one of the things I was thinking of for – uh, people who are just keeping track of their personal finances and what accounting things might they need to know. You start with the real basics, knowing how to keep track of your expenses and understanding what different types of expenses are. You know, spending money at a restaurant for a night out is different from paying down your mortgage. Or I was talking to somebody the other day who they 
was looking at their expenses and their income and they really matched up and they just kind of felt like they didn't have any money left over at the end of the month. But when you drill down, it's like, okay, well, you have automatic savings going into your 401k. That's not, it's not an expense in the same way that travel is an expense. Uh, you're paying extra on your mortgage. So, I mean, we can avoid that, but that's not an expense in the same way that, again, dining out or something is an expense. They had some automatic savings. So it was really, they actually had a, a, quite a generous amount of room in their budget. It was just going to other areas of savings. So just kind of understanding, you know, it's not just you know, when you're looking at your bank account number, when you're looking at your credit card statement number, what does that mean is a lot more than just saying, what is that number? And that's where the accounting will uh, come into play. <clears throat> Addition, subtraction, are there some more maybe advanced accounting basics that uh, that might benefit people? No, to it's know? literally all addition and subtraction. There's no... <laughs> yes, pre- it is. Pretty much once, once you've mastered math at a kind of a fourth grade level, it does not get that much more complicated than that. And I want to go back to being being an investor. Um, Usually we start by looking at an income statement and the income statement is going to cover 12 months. That may be a calendar year or it may be some other um, set in there, some other fiscal year. But that tells you in the last year where has this company been making money? How have they been making money? What are their expenses? And you don't just look at it for that one year, but you're going to go back for several years. What has happened in previous years? What are the trends? Even a company that may be struggling this year, well, they were okay in the past, but they've had some issues that came up. So this, they'll fix what's wrong and they'll be a good investment in the future. So remember, if you're a stock investor, you are purchasing into the future prospects of that company. So looking at that income statement, drilling down into that and comparing them to their competitors. How do they look compared to other uh, companies in that same industry? And then the balance sheet, the, probably the most important thing I'm going to look at on the balance sheet if I'm an investor is the amount of debt. And in some industries, like the car industries, it's normal that you have huge amounts of debt. That's what it takes to run a business like that. In other businesses, not so much. So compare them to their com- competition. Look at it over a period of years. If they're gradually adding more and more debt, and certainly with our rising interest rates, some of those companies are going to be in a position of having to refinance or pay down debt and get new debt at much higher rates. And that's going to put some companies at risk. So if you're an investor, you're going to pay a lot of attention to that debt. So, Nancy, one final thing on accounting that goes back to what you originally said, talking about um, self-employed individuals. Um, and I don't know this. Do you do you have an accountant that's on call and you kind of pay as you go or, or do you enlist well, him? How is that usually done? Um, usually, most self-employed people have someone who helps them with their accounting and their reporting, but they usually just work with them maybe one time a year. And so you get to the end of the year, hopefully you've kept track, uh, and, and in my husband's case, he, he had this shoebox with a bunch of receipts in it. The shoebox is some, a classic accounting method, yes, I will say. Um, and you pass that on to your accountant, who, and they can then put that into a system to be able to produce some reports for you. And remember that accounting is the language of business. 
and you really, if you're a business person, you need to understand that accounting to understand the language so you can figure out what is working for you. And But it's often helpful if you're self-employed not just to do that one time of year, but maybe do it by the quarter because certainly if you're a retail business, maybe, you know, it's, it's around Christmas. That's when all of your information comes in. And it is information about how you can better manage your business and how you can make more money. All right. Uh, one other topic on our list here is uh, money management. So, Ryder, this is something we talk about when someone uses that phrase. What does it mean to you? Uh, yes. Yeah, so one thing is knowing the tools you have to manage your money. Uh, you have income that comes in as cash, probably, is what we're generally talking about. Uh, what do you have in savings? What can you access debt? You know, uh Taking out a mortgage is a way to manage the cost of buying a home. Taking a car loan, we were just talking about, is a way to manage the cost of buying a car. That's something you're going to be using for years and years and years to come. So if you can pay for it over years and years instead of draining yourself all in one go, that is useful. Uh, Budgeting is a tool for money management, and that goes into cash flow management. That is the biggest thing, I think, for a lot of folks is when are your expenses going out and when is your income coming? in. And, and you hear all the time about people who, oh, that my income, my, my paycheck hits on Friday, but I had to pay the credit card on Thursday. And so that I overdrafted my bank account. So managing those cash flows, uh, getting it so that your money comes in at the same time or before it starts going out is very important. Making sure you have enough buffer room there. That's a that's good cash flow management. Uh, that's generally the things I think about with money management. It's just kind of personal day-to-day spending-wise. But also, you're planning ahead for future expenses. So be that just looking at the year ahead and saying, okay, I have my, my car insurance is due in July and then my my, uh, my house taxes are due in January or uh, I'm going to need to buy a new car sometime in the fall. Planning for those, knowing how you're going to approach those, knowing how you're going to pay for those is going to be important. And then also the longer term stuff. We talk about all the time, saving for retirement, saving for kind of the big, expensive, ambiguous future where maybe Maybe you're going to be moving and are going to need money for a down payment. Maybe you want to take a big trip in a couple of years and you're going to need money for that. Uh, Saving and investing to hit those goals is also a very important aspect of your longer term cash flow planning. This is the day for tangents here because I just thought of something right while you're talking. Is Is it easy to get or can you get a credit card company to change your billing cycle so that if it hits at a more convenient time for your your paycheck or whatever? Uh, typically, yes. So how the kind of important days with a credit card, say you are just on a perfect uh, credit card cycle starts on the first and then the last day of the month is when it closes out. They typically allow up to two weeks for you to actually make that payment. Because if you think about it, it used to be they'd mail you a paper statement and then you turn around and mail them a check and that is not instant. And so they understand that it takes time. And so you can pull that date in, pull that did you pay it? Or you can push it out a little bit. Uh, now, you can't can't do that forever. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to pay my January bill in July. But you do have some flexibility there. And that may even be something that you can uh, – it's certainly something you can – you can just identify kind of when when is the range of dates and make sure you get it to match up. Because very often you don't want all, all of your expenses happening all at once. 
This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're talking today about some personal finance topics that you should master, but we're also, as always, looking for your personal finance questions. Uh, I thought Rader made a good point about the money management. It's sort of a month-to-month thing. You know, you want to keep yourself afloat from month to month. But as he said, maybe have a a yearly calendar to plan out those uh, upcoming expenses so you know how to plan for them. Any other money management tips that you come to mind? Well, I think about um, the things that don't happen every month because we get accustomed to those things that happen every month, whether Mm -hmm. it's your mortgage payment or your rent, your utility bills, my streaming service. (laughs) But um, there are things, uh, car insurance, maybe it's quarterly. Um, You may have a big tax bill if you're retired and you own your home outright. That's an annual bill or your insurance is an annual bill. Other bills may just hit you one time of year, and that's always a surprise for a lot of people. Oh, my gosh, I forgot about this. Mm -hmm. Well, what you need to do is go back over a year. This is what we usually tell people, especially those uh, approaching retirement, and we're trying to grab on to that number. What is that monthly number, the number that you'll need in dollars to be comfortable every month? Well, we need to account for all of those one-time things, annual things, quarterly things, occasional things that might happen. And so to go back over a year and look at that, does that mean that you're going to be in a strict budget every time? No, but it just reminds you that there are some things that will pop up and you need to be prepared for them so that they're not a surprise. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Danderson, president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Nancy and Ryder are ready for your personal finance questions this morning. We've got some open phone lines. It's been a little bit slow, so that means if you call in, we'll get to your question right away. You can always send an email to money at mpbonline.org. And as I mentioned, we'll probably get to those off air, uh, but we will still give you an answer if you choose to do the email route. So uh, we're talking about personal finance topics that you should master. We've talked a little bit about some accounting basics and money management. The next one on the list is home ownership. And I guess we could probably spend at least one complete show on this. Uh, But uh, maybe let's take it in. in, Well, first of all, Ryder, I'll let you have a first crack at this. Affordability. How do you go about trying to determine how much house you can afford? Uh, this is a this is a good one. Uh, we could need spend a whole show or more on this because there are just raging debates: should you buy or should you rent? Uh, affordability. That's a great question, and and so that's something that when you actually start the house buying process, you should. I mean, you should be thinking about affordability before you call a realtor for sure. Um, but affordability is limited by your income and what you have saved up for that house. Uh, In most, not exactly all cases, you will need money for a down payment for a home. Uh, Traditionally, we say 20% for prime mortgage. For first-time homebuyers, there are so many programs. And actually, for really any homebuyers, you don't actually have to put down 20%, but that's a great start, especially if you're already fairly well-established and you're not trying to get, you know, you're not trying to just get your foot on the ladder, but there are a lot of programs for first-time home buyers. That's not super applicable. 
And then the other factor is going to be your income because there are limits to how much mortgage you can have based on your income. Uh, it's kind of all around basically like a third of your income. One, there's, there's a couple of numbers. One is uh, the mortgage shouldn't be above, I want to say like about 28% of your income. A mortgage broker is going to help you understand this. And then some is also if you have other debt payments, what are those as a percent of your income? And so those are some limits right there. And that's going to tell you, uh, given what the current rates are and given the term of your mortgage that you have, again, discussed with a mortgage broker, what is the price you can afford? And that is going to be that is going to be a maximum price that you can kind of legally buy. Uh, and you typically, uh, we would always kind of say the uh, less you pay for a house that you actually want is, is, is better. Paying less is better than paying more. So that's a real starting point. And uh, working with a mortgage broker, once you kind of decide to go down the home ownership path, is going to be one of those steps to say, okay, what is the dollar amount I can be looking for? What do I have to keep in mind there? Um, so I have a quick uh, story about affordability. When I was looking for my house, I was in my mid to late 20s, I guess. So Somewhat naive, I would say. And suppose. how long ago was that? Was, that? that was literally like five years ago, Nancy. I remember it, the day well. It was it was so in long ago dreams. that I don't remember exactly when it was. That sort of sums it up yeah, right there. 2018, 20, uh, I don't remember. But uh, the realtor was taking me all over the Jackson metro area, but we were in some areas of, of the metro area that were out of my price range. And so I, you know, for a couple of days, finally, I realized I just had to say something. And so I said, you know, maybe oh, yeah. we should be looking at something. And so I guess my point there is if you're looking with a realtor or someone that's helping you buy a house, don't don't be shy. You're going to be the one that moves into it and, and has to finance it and pay for it. So uh, if you feel like that you're shopping in the wrong neighborhood, as it were, you know, be be upfront about that so that they can really give you the best help that that, that they can. Absolutely. You, you've got to get when you're working with a realtor, which is I, I do think is a great idea for especially a first time home buyer, uh, someone who really understands the area and who's going to take the time to understand what you are looking for. It sounds like maybe your realtor didn't initially take the time to understand what you were looking for, but because you can set those parameters, you can say, I'm not spending any more than X. Uh, and part of that They've just have to understand you're not going to be able to buy anything more than X price. Um, and you can also kind of set that a little lower based on what you want your budget to look like. Uh, and then you can also say, well, I want a big backyard. I want X number of bedrooms, all sorts of things. Uh, so you can kind of set those parameters. Uh, they can kind of talk to you about what you got wiggle room on or, or what you want to be close to or far away from. But uh, yeah, a good realtor will take the time to understand what you're looking for and then really find the houses that kind of meet that. I mean, because you could just look at a neighborhood and go look at every single house available, but that that's going to be a wide range of houses and, and they're not all going to fit what you like. So Nancy, you've decided uh, how much of home you can afford. Talk a little bit about uh, securing financing for the purchase of the home. Well, you're going to have to work with a mortgage broker and um, you can go online and look for um, any possible brokers around you or out there that you can deal with. Certainly you can work with somebody online now. Um, my caution is in a lot of these cases, you'll see, oh, that's the lowest interest rate. It's been big, bold, and that's the one I want to work with. But then you need to look further because you're going to be looking for 
what's called the interest rate that includes all of your closing costs. And that's how you can compare one broker to the next. Now, understand most of these brokers, um, they don't actually hold the mortgage. As soon as the paperwork is done, that gets sold off to somebody else. Maybe a third party is is It gets doing sold the to Fannie Mae. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> or, or just but, a larger bank. Right, exactly. That's what happens. And so you're just really looking for the lowest price, the lowest interest rate, which is, includes all of those closing costs. And pay attention to all of that because you can really get hurt by thinking, oh, well, that's the, the lowest rate. And then the closing costs really add up and change that number because that's all included. Um, but it's a lot easier to handle all of that paperwork these days and even doing refinancing because a lot of people who are purchasing right now in the 6 to 7% range are planning in a few years that those rates will go down and they'll refinance. But now that so many of our statements, our bank statements, our investment statements, our W-2s, all of that is electronic, then it's really pretty easy to get them the information that they need. And so you can approach it that way. It happens pretty quickly. Uh, so we'll continue uh, home ownership discussion in just a minute, but we do have a caller on the line. So why don't we go ahead and uh, say good morning to Vladimir, who calls in from Career. Good morning. You're on the air with us. So go ahead. Uh, yes, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have a quick question. What's your opinion on uh, 403B annuities? Sure. So typically a 403B is offered as a workplace retirement plan. So we often call that, well, it's one of the many alphabet soups that we have, especially when it comes to the tax code. Some employers offer a 401k. Some employers offer a simple or a SEP IRA. Uh, some uh, employers offer a 457. A 403B is very common in the uh, healthcare and the education world. Um, to be honest, they're, they're all kind of becoming more and more similar. Traditionally, a 403B, and you notice that you called it specifically a 403B annuity, was meant to uh, um, be similar to a pension that someone may receive at a public school or a large hospital system. And so it's kind of designed for private schools and smaller hospital systems uh, in the sense that you would set money aside and it would be generally that was managed by an insurance based company who would be able to offer an annuity or a stream of payments once you retired. Whereas a, a, four, a 401k is typically offered by a more investment-minded company, and uh, so they're just focused on providing good investments in there because they expect that when you retire, you will just, you, you'll manage it yourself. Uh, you'll roll it to an IRA. You will just kind of manage your own withdrawals. They're not so much concerned about the annuitizing, the establishing some guaranteed option. Uh, what are my thoughts on it? If, if you are offered a 403B, it's probably one of the only plans you're offered. Sometimes for more highly compensated employees, uh, doctors in particular, you may be offered a 403B side by side with something else, um, be it a 457 or one of the more elaborate things that people keep coming up with, uh, ways to evade some tax laws. Um, 
that's my thought. I, I, I haven't seen a 403B that I love. One of the one of the sticking points for me is that, but again, if if it's all it's offered, like you, you know, I do encourage people to take advantage of their workplace and t- retirement plan. But uh, because they are typically offered by insurance focused companies, you typically do not find the same level of investments in them. And they typically have more restrictions that you would expect in an insurance company's annuity that they would offer more restrictions in just how you interact with them, how money is taken out, when money is taken out. But a lot of the rules around it, a lot of the tax rules around it are uh, becoming almost the same as other workplace retirement plans like the 401k. Does that answer your question, Vladimir? Yes. Thank okay. you very much. Absolutely. Uh, I would like to add something to that because a lot of 403bs have within that set of options, there are straight investment options, mutual fund options, and then there might be an annuity in addition to that. So Vladimir asked specifically about a 403B annuity. Sometimes it's all annuity, and sometimes it's sliced and diced. And so the portion that people put into the annuity, as Ryder mentioned, you're going to have all kinds of constraints uh, on that portion. And so we've run into a case with uh, TIAA-CREF, for instance. So a lot of 403Bs use TIAA-CREF, or TIA-CREF is called. And the annuity portion, which people often will select because they think, well, I want to keep a portion of mine very safe and something stable. And so they think they're they're doing that with this annuity. And then they find when they retire, they can't access the full portion at one time. It has to be paid out over a period of 10 years. So be careful about all of that. Make sure you read the fine print. I'm not a fan of, of using that annuity. If, if that's you know, if you don't understand that it's it's going to be paid out over a period of years, and instead, if you're looking for something that's going to offer you a guaranteed rate, sometimes you can look at the fund options, and then there might be a stable value fund or a different type of fund that is, does not have the constraints of an annuity that might be a better choice for you. All right, to Vladimir, we appreciate your calling in this morning. We've got another caller on the line, so we're going to say good morning to Marcy. She's called us this morning from Ocean Springs. Marcy, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Good morning. Um, I was just doing some research on my phone, and I still don't know the answer to my question. Um, I would like to know if I need to file taxes this year and whether it would benefit me to work part-time in addition to receiving my military retirement and my new social security benefits. And I just, I'm starting school next week too, to, for like a golden years, um, employment. It's for interpreting for the deaf. So, and my tuition's going to be, uh, it's waived because I'm 62 and I'm retired. So I, I, I have a lot of different little pieces to my question, but I I can't find my answers online. Okay, so – oh, go ahead, Nancy. Well, I, first of all, I was going to say because you are under full retirement age, Marcy, you are going to have some limitations as to how much income you can earn um, – inside uh, outside of your social security before your social security benefit is hit uh Ryder, do you remember what that is that changes every year and we just had sean mercer on a couple of weeks ago somewhere in the 
21,000, is that right? I, I think, think you're right. Off the top of my yeah. head, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that like 21,200 something. We need Sean right here. Um, so that's I th- uh, daily, I think, where is Sean? <laughs> yeah. Where is Sean yeah. in my life? Um, and, and your military retirement is not going to be calculated in that. It's just going to be any W-2 earnings that would show up in addition. So that would be your guide on your part-time earnings. Now, as far as filing taxes, you need to check with an accountant because there is a limit. If you uh, earn below that, you don't have to file. But the problem is you may be missing out on some advantages. Uh, Yeah, so typically if you are making less – so this would have been for – if you're talking about for 2022, we are well past the initial filing deadline. We are about to be at the uh, very, very last drop-dead filing deadline. Uh, If you make less than the standard deduction, then you are not required – there's a couple of rules here, but this is roughly – if you make less than the standard deduction, which – Last year uh, for 2022 was 12950 Then for uh, if you're single or married filing separately, um, then you do not you're not required to file. Uh, it doesn't hurt if you did have income and it doesn't quite meet that. It doesn't hurt to file, but yeah, it might just be kind of a waste of your time. But it certainly does avoid later if there's any kind of discrepancies, having a complete record of, oh, well, she filed taxes every year. We have that. We have that information all good and clear. It certainly it would probably decrease the likelihood of the IRS coming back and asking more questions about, oh, what about that? <laughs> what about that gap? in your tax filings, what happened that year. Um, but you're not required if you make less than the standard deduction because, of course, if you make less than the standard deduction, it's just immediately wiped out. So there's just kind of no point at that then. And remember just okay. a couple of year, years ago when we had, um, with the pandemic, and we had stimulus checks that went out, that was based on your filing. And so there were a lot That's of people true. calling into the show going, I didn't get my check. Well, they still qualified for that, but then yeah. they had to go to the extra, um, jumping through some extra hoops so that they could get those funds. So just having a record, and certainly at lower income levels, you can do the free file. So it should be very simple for you to do that. That is a very good point. A lot of public benefits, uh, including uh, student loans or student grants for students, are based on your tax filing. So even if it's even if it's a zero all the way down, having that record is is just going to make things easier in cases like that. It's a very good point, Nancy. Okay, I think that I should do it just to be on the safe side. Yes, I think so. Good luck. All right. Thank you. We're glad you found our show, Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lodridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. One other topic that I thought we should cover that we've talked about about home ownership, and Ryder, when you're thinking about how much house you can afford, you need to keep in mind that a house home ownership involves a lot of ongoing costs after the initial purchase of the building. Oh boy, is that true? Oh, he certainly knows this one. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I live in an older house, uh, so I do. I am well aware. Uh, One of in an older house right now is just the fact that you have to keep the AC running at all times because that air is just. It's just getting out. It's just it's not staying inside. It's going outside all the time. Uh, we've got a caller on the line, so why don't we wrap things up by talking to TC in Summit? TC, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. 
I filed my taxes. Uh, my my youngest daughter just had just turned eighteen, and she was trying to be independent and she tried to do her taxes on her own, but she didn't understand it and she didn't realize that I still can claim her. But this is the first time ever uh, my tax lady had to do an amendment on me on me, uh, and they received my taxes in March. And my credit takes up to 16 weeks, and it's going on 25 weeks. And I heard Wyatt say that you didn't post the rule. So I'm just trying to get an uh, educated guess on, like, how long uh, is uh, they get. And I gave me a number, and it's every time I put in my information and say my, they, have, they have received my taxes, but all my information is all, all available. So... I was just like, I, I'm going to get off the air and like and listen to y'all uh, opinions on this. Because I can't get in touch with a individual person oh, from the IRS. Oh, yeah. No, don't, yeah, uh-uh. yeah, you're, it's going to be near impossible to get in touch with a person at the IRS, in my experience. I've seen people wait on the phone for hours. Um, and um, I will say I'm in the middle of uh, an amended return right now myself. Because um, so you're feeling TC's pain. Yes, I'm feeling his pain because they owe me some money, and it's going to take a while for me to yeah. get it. Um, and the, you know, the IRS is very short-staffed. They're they are hiring. Are they are hiring. In case well, anybody thankfully. is curious thankfully. about that accounting stuff we talked about early, yeah. uh, they the the IRS is they're they're on a big hiring spree right now. So get in there, folks. And tell us what it's like. <laughs> Go ahead, Nancy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> are some ways where you can track your return, and apparently TC has discovered that they do have his information. Um, but uh, for many people, you can. Uh, there, there was an app at one time, IRS to go. I don't even know if it's even valid any longer. Or you can go online, put in your information, and see where you are in the queue or the line. And uh, and for me, I'm just crossing my fingers and saying I really want to spend that yeah. money, but it's not there yet. Um, I, I will say, and this is not an estimate of time it's going to take or anything really hopeful for TC, but the the situation he's in is with the amendment, it sounded like. And your initial return, the IRS does try. I mean, they even kind of put a lot of information out around tax time about expectations and when they try to get your refund to you or, uh, you know, deduct money from your account to pay your taxes. They try to get those done in a very efficient manner. Amendments, additional filings, literally anything else, there is just no no time expectation there that that I've ever seen. Um, I've, I've, I've seen people filing amendments sometimes, and it's just it's just a wait till you hear from them. Uh, mo- most often, you, it'll be just a letter saying, "Okay, we received your amendment. We need this more information. You have two days to respond." And you realize the letter was dated like three weeks before, and it's um, so that's the situation he's in. Uh, with that. So uh, if, if you have a situation where uh, you have a child who's trying to file their own taxes and that messes up your taxes, uh, I want to just stay on top of that for a little while. And, and remind that 18-year-old 
what you've invested in her through Reminder, she she doesn't want to start doing her own taxes quite yet not yet <laughs> alright uh, TC thanks for the call hope we gave you some information there as we close out the show Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio funded in part by generous financial support from listeners to hear today's show or a previous show you can visit moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks so for Dr. Nancy Lotcher Janderson and Ryder Taff I'm Kevin Farrell inviting you to join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.